Hi everyone, this is Graham Cowan and welcome to the Caring CEO Podcast. We create this podcast because we believe that every leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together. It is my job to interview CEOs and other senior leaders who value building both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. I'm very keen to understand how they do this, and I'm sure there'll be lots of insights and tips for anyone who wants to build a high-performing team. Ellen Derrick is the managing partner of the consulting division of Deloitte's in Australia. Ellen has a lot of energy. You can hear it just come out of the speaker towards you. She loves her work, and in her current role, which she's just taken on, it requires juggling lots of uh, priorities around Australia. She also has two children and Kate, her daughter, lives with cystic fibrosis. And I really love how Ellen describes what she has learned from Kate. Her son, she describes as a lovable Labrador and uh, whenever she wants to lift the mood, spending time with him is central. She's a huge advocate for caring teams and sees this as critical to team success. She strives for having team psychological safety where everyone can feel like they can be themselves, they can make suggestions, they can make mistakes and no others will have their back. She's played a leading role in Deloitte's Aspiring Women's Group and really is a champion of gender diversity in the leadership ranks. She thinks her team would nominate her growth mindset as her number one strength. And you can see just in how she talks and what she refers to that she really loves to learn. She has also found time to be a board member of the Corporate Mental Health Alliance and explains what that is and why she thinks that is so important. I challenge you to think of one or two things that you hear from Ellen that you decide to put into action. And I really believe there's a lot more than one or two things. Enjoy. So a big welcome to you, Ellen, on the Caring CEO podcast. Thanks so much, Graham. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Kate, what does care in the workplace mean to you? Great question. You know, for me, care is the foundation of performance. Right. If I, I look at, you know, our, our business in, in Deloitte at the heart of everything we do, we're a people business, right? Mm-hmm. Our, our teams, our clients, you know, the kind of ecosystem of delivery partners we work with at the heart of that is people. And so care is a really fundamental, you know, aspect of how we perform in the environment, you know, that we want to create. I love to try to create environments where people can feel and be their best. And I like to think that, you know, a lot of what we do is creating great leaders, you know, whether that's for Deloitte, for people who come and work with us, who then go out and work in industry or they go and work in government, you know, and over long careers, you know, if you're asking people to be their best or you want people to be their best selves, you know, I think inherently what comes with that is people won't always be at their best selves, right? It might be a life event, it might be a bad day, it might be a global pandemic, but in a really long career, you know, there will be moments where where not everyone is at their best and how we respond to that. For me, really, that's that's where care comes in, you know, in addition to creating an environment, you know, where every day people feel valued, you know, and, and can, you know, can perform at their best. I see that you're on Deloitte's Aspiring Women and Women in Leadership programs. How can we get more women into senior leadership, do you think? You know, a number of the programs that we run really is about helping 
you know, to pull through, you know, all our talent, right? And, and certainly, you know, our best female talent. For me, you know, I draw a lot on, you know, my experience. And, you know, I've been, you know, really fortunate to have a great set of opportunities and mentors and sponsors. And I feel I've, you know, had a great opportunity to be really well cared for it mm-hmm. and to be challenged. And, you know, through those programs in our day to day, you know, it's really around certainly identifying our talent, making sure they feel valued, making sure that they can see, you know, a path for themselves and they see value in the work that they're doing. And then really, you know, helping them day to day and to achieve those ambitions. And, you know, for me, it's certainly around creating leaders in our organization, but it's, you know, and like I say, you know, out into to industry as well, but it's really about helping them, you know, realize the ambition that they have for themselves. I really liked a piece of thought leadership that Deloitte put together. I think it might've been 18 months ago, and it was looking at the future of work. Subtitle was, the future is human. And it included in there, you know, talking about careers that were hand careers, you know, people that drive trucks or lay bricks or do that sort of thing. It talked about head careers, which could be thought of as engineering, actuaries, that sort of thing. But the big growth area was around heart careers. And that was, as I'm sure you're aware, around, you know, how we can work better in teams. And for me, that really highlights why there should be more women in senior leadership, because I think as a general rule, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but I think often women are better at sensing what's happening in a team. How do you see or how do you in Deloitte help to spread that message of the advantage of having women looking out for the heart elements, which create the synergy and the collaboration, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I mean, a few things. I mean, we know that diverse teams and diverse leadership teams absolutely produce better results, right? We know that we've got the data. For us, you know, our ambition around having more females in leadership is right at the heart of our strategy, without a doubt, right? And we would, we, you know, certainly work with our clients, you know, and, and advocate that as well. And we can make the assumptions around, you know, those skills and, and skills of the heart and really the jobs are the heart, you know, at the core of industries that we would say typically have care as the foundation, mm-hmm. right? When we look at health and our different caring industries, you know, I wouldn't, you know, stereotype that, you know, women own those skills, right? But I do think, you know, the diversity of perspective and when we're looking at teams and when we're looking at the disruption, you know, that we're seeing, you know, across the board in every sector now and disruption, you know, led by the events of the last year, disruption that's being driven by cloud and digital technology. And what does that mean for the future of work and teams? You know, what we're really seeing at the heart of that is, you know, you're seeing disruption that requires, you know, change driven by technology, but very much paired by the skills of humanity, right? You know, the skills of the heart and innovation and creativity and empathy. And I think there is really, you know, a unique opportunity for women to really grab that and run with it. I would also say it's a great opportunity for men. I don't think it's the <laughs> domain of women, but there's a an absolute opportunity. But I think, you know, fundamental for me in that is it's really about creating diverse teams. And we know that, you know, diverse teams of all sorts, you know, with great gender diversity and diversity of thinking and diversity of background and ethnicity, we know that those teams perform at their best. And, you know, that's certainly at the core, you know, the teams that we're trying to create, the organizations that we're trying to create and the leadership teams that we're trying to create as well. We just assume that 
you know, to help women get ahead, it is all about balance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I have for years been saying, I really need you to shake this concept that women only want less. I'm going to tell you, I've never wanted less in my whole entire life. Mm. I've only ever wanted more. It's just the fig, you know, the working through how I continue to do more and, and make it work. So mm. just stop with the inherent assumption that it's all about we're just desperate to be home with our kids. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I love my children, but mm. I'll work that out. You know, just mm. you know, it's it's a just a subtle kind of shift in mindset. Congratulations on your recent promotion to the managing partner of uh, Deloitte's consulting business. Well done. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. With that role, when it came up, did you willingly say, I'm all in, or did you hesitate in going for it? I didn't hesitate, but I'll tell you that I certainly took time in, in really thinking through and evaluating the opportunity. And I've been at Deloitte for nearly 10 years. I've largely been a consultant for nearly 25 years. If you think of the ambition around that role, uh, you know, the role that I was doing previously was, was leading our public sector practice nationally. And working with the public sector and large-scale transformation, that's really been what I have always felt is my life's work, right? It's a real deep passion of mine. I studied government and business, a real service mentality, you know, that I that I thank my mother for, for handing down to me, you know, and really making a difference. And I always felt that the greatest kind of sight to impact and the work that we can do working with clients, you know, was, was really in, in the public sector. And so then looking, you know, at extending that and moving into the role of, of managing partner for consulting and even thinking that that might be a role, you know, that I could take on, I really took the time to think through, yeah, is that the right role for me? Am I the right person, you know, to lead that team? Do I have the right attributes? And is this the right time? And as I work through that process, you know, it became very clear that, Yes, if it became an opportunity and an option and I could put myself for it, I was, I was certainly all in and I'd be incredibly humbled and just entirely grateful to have the opportunity to lead the great team that I do. So then to be appointed into the role, you know, it, it has been, it has been exceptional. And, you know, as I work through that process, you know, one of my great advisors is, well, she just turned 17 on Tuesday, but my daughter, Kate, and as I spoke through with her and the pluses and minuses, and, and I'll tell you, you know, she, she's wise beyond her years, Kate, and, and Kate turned to me and she said, mom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think, you know, you've been doing exactly what you love and you never thought you'd be able to even do that. And she just turned to me and she said, think it's time to put your big girl pants on and time to do something else. <laughs> Said, eh, spot on girl, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Kate has her real challenges as well. As I understand it, she has cystic fibrosis. That's right. What's, what is that like? How does that impact the way you work that you've, you know, got someone that uh, you love dearly who has special needs and you've got this exciting career. How do you balance that? Yeah, and and obviously cystic fibrosis is a genetic condition, right? So Kate was born with it, and I found out at at five weeks. You know, early on, I did wonder what will that mean? You know, what will that mean for our life, and what will it mean for her, and what will it mean for my career? With it, you know, I've learned over time not to look too far ahead. Take care of of Kate, you know, for for how she is now, 
and, you know, we'll, we'll take things as they come because it's impossible, you know, to kind of predict how her health will evolve. And, and, you know, blessedly, like Kate does incredibly well, you know, she has a really complex illness and she has, you know, diabetes as well. And so on paper, you know, there's a really complex set of circumstances, you know, to me, Kate, you, know, you just see this, you know, phenomenal superpower of a human being, you know, who's unshaken and nothing can stop her. And I take a lot of inspiration for that. I'd be fueled by making sure that what I do every day has an impact. You know, I'd come through the door every day and little Kate, you know, she would ask me, you know, like, mom, you know, what, what did you do today? And I really started to feel like the intense, you know, accountability and pressure of that question. Everything in the world that matters to me, you know, is, is her. So if I can't answer that question in the right way, well, my God, I have an incredible alternative of how I can spend my time with Kate, we never use the language of, you know, in spite of, or even though, like I never say, well, Kate does this, even though I never say, well, we've been able to do this in spite of, we only say because of, mm. and I always say it's because of Kate, I have been, you know, pushed into saying, yeah, I'm going to try harder. You know, I'm going to go for the next thing. I'm actually going to question myself every day, whether I am maximizing my time really holding myself to account on, on yeah, how I treat people and being very hard on myself when I don't get it right. At the end of the day, you know, with cystic fibrosis and diabetes, it's a very, very intense daily treatment regime, even when you're healthy. And I always feel, you know, if I'm asking Kate every day to step up to that and to be her best self and to, you know, really put in the work just to keep herself healthy. Well, my God, she's got to be able to look at her mother and, you know, and have that role model of, you know what, girl, when you put in the work, when you keep pushing yourself, when you try harder, when you show up, it's worth it and it matters. And it doesn't just matter to you. It matters to the people around you. I really like that distinction between because and in spite of. And it reminds me of a book I read called A First Rate Madness, written by a psychiatrist called Nasagini. And what he did was to go back and looking at some really very successful leaders, people like Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, Eleanor Roosevelt, JFK. And he was able to go back and actually document and really prove with pretty high certainty that all those people had a mental illness mm. of some form. His conclusion was that it wasn't they became great leaders in spite of that mental illness. It was because it helped them to have greater empathy. It helped them to see reality better. And it also ironically made them more resilient. Uh, mm. So that really reinforces what you, uh, what you just said there. Yeah, fantastic. I think I'll need to read that. You had an unusual childhood. Would you mind just uh, explaining a little bit about that and how that shaped you? Yeah, I'd love to. Some unusual experiences, but I had a really happy childhood. And, you know, I think it's only as you get older and you're, you know, really into adulthood that you look back and realize, oh, okay, yeah, that set of experiences, you know, that really shaped me. Born in Buffalo, New York, and, and I was adopted at birth. And I was adopted because my mother, um, my adopted mother, after my older sister was born, um, she found out she had breast cancer. And, you know, again, this was, you know, the 70s. She was told she could not have kids. She was being treated. And so, I was adopted. And, you know, I always joke that, you know, I was kind of the miracle child. My parents didn't know if they'd be able to adopt. They told me that they kind of went to like the, the patch of babies and, and picked me out of the patch because I was so quiet. One of my first memories, you know, is my parents talking to me about being adopted. And the way that they framed it to me was how lucky and grateful I should be because someone loved me that much to make that sacrifice for me. 
to give me a better life. And, you know, I've only ever been able to view, you know, that scenario with that framework and, you know, how selfless and what a big decision. And, you know, now that I'm a mother, I really understand how selfless that was. But, you know, my parents being so open and transparent with me really shaped me, you know, just an absolute core value of, you know, straight talk and transparency and honesty. You know, my mother was in remission for a number of years and then, you know, her cancer came back and she passed away when I was 11. Cancer came back when I was about five years old. So I spent a lot of time with her being sick and going through a number, you know, of operations and being in hospital and just observing and watching my mother, you know, through that period. And, you know, one of the things I really took away is, you know, despite everything she would have been going through and, you know, you realize as a family, we would have been going through, you know, I said, you know, my mother had a real service mentality. She was always hammering into me how grateful I should be, how lucky I was for the life I had, for the experiences I got to have. You know, and that really, you know, always stayed with me, despite anything that was going on in our lives, that I had everything to be grateful for and to never forget that. You know, I also learned from her how to carry yourself and, and hold yourself and, and how to walk through the world when things, you know, are really difficult. And she walked and held her head high and she was really funny and she could command a room. You know, and even, you know, in the last months of her life in hospital and I would watch people in the room and she was the funniest one in the room. And, you know, I could see how it was actually uncomfortable for other people. You know, she was going through a terrible time, but she was still able to carry herself that way, despite anything she would have been feeling. Right. And so, yeah, how you carry yourself when things are hard. And that doesn't mean that you, you know, that you don't feel it. But actually, it's okay to have a laugh when things are hard. That, you know, coupled with, like I said, you know, that that real sense of she never hid from me, you know, the, how her health was progressing. She was really open with me. And that meant that, you know, in her final weeks, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with her and spend nights with her in the hospital when essentially she was dying and have some incredible conversations. And, you know, I think back to some of the things she said to me in those conversations and just how much you know, they have shaped me and why it is that I jump at different challenges, you know, and, mm. um, and it really comes back to some of those really formative conversations. So, you know, for me in childhood, you know, those things really, really shaped me, you know, and, and, and of course made me extraordinarily close then, you know, to my sister, you know, and, and my father within that too. Uh, you know, my sister and I are still, you know, best of friends. Wonderful. When you think about your role now, uh, you've just taken on, were you concerned it would take you away from your passion? You mentioned your passion was really the public sector and you'll have to obviously spread your time across other sectors now. Was that a consideration when you uh, were thinking about the role? I think it's only wise to really, because, you know, if you're evaluating a role and, you know, a career change, you know, yeah, to really think through, yeah, what is your passion? What are your values? And where do you derive your energy? you know, that was part of the process. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I, I studied government because I, I love the complexity. I really, um, you know, in that complex systems and getting things done, while it has extraordinary impact, you know, in the broadest sense, it's, it's really complex and it's highly mm. visible um, and the stakes are really high. And I absolutely love that. But at the end of the day, you know, my 
real passion in what I do sits at, you know, being able to serve our clients, you know, being able to build teams and, and see people grow and to, you know, watch people take on new leadership positions and, you know, to achieve things they never thought they could and to be there for our clients. You know, when, when our clients put their trust in us, it's complex problems, right? Mm. They're experiencing disruption. They need to grow. They need to deliver and to bring us into that and to trust us with that responsibility. When, of course, it's personal, you know, for organizations and for mm. those individuals, we take that really seriously. That means a lot to me. So, you know, my core passion, you know, is how we show up every day and serve mm. our clients. Mm. And so, you know, while my focus has always been, you know, in delivering into public sector, and I, you know, in, in different points of my career, I did work in other sectors. I'm based in Canberra. I live in DC. <laughs> I studied government. Like I always say, it's like I look like I kind of planned that. I did not. Um, but anyway, it's worked out, you know, but at the core of it is how we serve our clients and how we, you know, help them walk through, you know, their most complex transformations mm-hmm. and help them really, you know, realize the opportunities from change and disruption. So that's the core of it, you know, and being able to work with our teams and apply that across sectors. Honestly, it's it's so exciting and it gives me a huge amount of energy. And, and the one thing I will say, you know, if you ever needed a moment in time to know that no one sector in this world or this country owns impact, right? In mm-hmm. fact, you know, the real power is how we see sectors and different industries come together. Well, the last year, you know, that just put that in the spotlight for us. And you can start with the bushfires, right? Mm. Um, There's no way, you know, you can respond to something like bushfires without government, without telecom, you know, without Mm. energy and resources. You know, when we really need it, it is how in this country we bring our capability cross-sector together that really matters. And of course, then we saw that on steroids with COVID. So Mm. the opportunity to take, you know, what I have been doing and, you know, and and really at the heart of what I do is Mm. is drive complex change, right, and and large scale reform and transformation. Well, that applies to any sector. And then, Mm. like I said, you know, the ability to see us bring that together. That's what really excites me. If you believe like we do that a leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together, you may be interested in these three free resources we've provided at our website, factorc.com.au. The first one is the We Care Credo poster, and this contains the mindset and values of teams that prize self-care, crew care, and red zone care. The second resource is a poster called How to Support a Teammate in Distress. And this provides easy to follow instructions on how to identify someone who's struggling, how to have the Are You OK conversation with empathy, and how to guide them to the help that they need. And the third resource is a Building a Mentally Healthy Culture Checklist. And this provides items to think about before you launch an initiative, how you do a great launch, and then thirdly, how to keep the momentum going following the launch. These three free resources can be found at factorc.com.au. You've got a lot on. <laughs> you've got, you know, this this big role. You've got, you know, your family and Kate. What do you do for self-care? How do you make sure that you have sufficient time to recharge your batteries? You know, this is something that, not surprisingly, you know, over the past few years, you know, I've certainly given a lot more thought and even care, you know, in how I think about this. You know, I would say that I have always been someone that, you know, if I think something is difficult, 
you know, actually, I just want to work harder, right? If, if something is complex, I just want to crash through it. Always been a person that in a way, more is more, you know, and I've really learned over the past couple of years that, of course, that is just not the best approach. Actually, sometimes stepping back and stopping is the absolute best way to move forward. You know, I grew up an athlete, exercise, testing myself that way remains really important. So I certainly exercise and that just, you know, helps me in working through stress, spending time with my family and my friends and making sure that I'm not, you know, too lost in myself, you know, is a really big part of that too. Certainly just getting outside and sleeping well and eating well and just, you know, the basics of taking care of myself is certainly part of that. And it's really easy to take that as given, but we know, you know, you know, you need to focus on that. And then I, I always try to make sure, you know, I'm pairing that just with simple joy, mm. right? So there is the, how do I take care of myself? But what are the, what are the moments of joy? What are those elements, you know, that really give you the energy to keep going? You know, and I talk a lot about Kate and, you know, she gets a lot of, uh, you know, she gets a lot of airtime, but, you know, I have a son <laughs> as well and he just turned 15. And I always say, you know, Kate's my absolute inspiration. If I am ever having a day where I'm not sure I can keep going or if it's worth it, trust me, I just think of Kate. And all <laughs> my but when I think of just, you know, joy and play and energy, you know, that's, that's my son. And so, you know, on my bullet point list of, wellness and joy. It just says, spend time with Miles. <laughs> and, you know, he is, he's like a Labrador and, and it, you know, really just being around his energy mm. and his humor, you know, it really, you know, fuels me a lot. Yeah, I have a lot on, but, you know, I've gotten smarter and, you know, working with my schedule and the activities that, you know, inherently give you energy. They are life-giving and so they certainly, you know, underpin your care. And that means time with our, you know, with team members, you know, one-on-one and hearing about them and helping them, spending time with clients, you know, making sure that I get the balance right of the bits of, you know, what is a big job, but the things that really fuel you and remembering why you're here, in addition to doing the things that, that we have to do for the business, but making sure, you know, really making sure that I, that I maximize my energy. And when I get that right, you know, you know, you feel like you can, you can do anything. And, you know, we often kind of make this trade-off or talk about a trade-off of, of home and work. And I, I really never see it like that. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm energized and I'm loving what I do, mm-hmm. like, I tell you what, like I, I roll through that door and, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, my family, you know, they're a really large part of my decision-making, you know, on the choices that I make in my career, but, you know, what I do day to day. And I'd love to be able, you know, to be able to come home and, and have the energy of them seeing that I love what I do. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, and being able to share that with them I and mean, being mm-hmm. one, I turned up at home every day and it was miserable. Well, you know, that's not fun for anyone. But, you know, I think they can take something away from like, we get that this is so much you yeah. and, and to, mm-hmm. you know, to love me is to understand that. But I'll tell you what, uh, you know, Graham, last year, you know, is, is we were edging into COVID and lockdown and there was still a lot of uncertainty. I started getting a lot of calls, like really kind calls from people asking, are you okay? And actually, you know, it was, is Kate okay? And the question was, are you worried? Like, you must be extra worried. I mean, she has a lung condition, she has comorbidities. Are you all right? Like, how are you handling that? And by about the fifth call, I remember talking to a colleague of mine and saying, you know what, this is going to sound funny to you, but I actually think in this scenario, we have an advantage. And, and I started thinking about it, you know, and then ultimately wrote an article about it, you know, where 
kind of the most complex thing in your life becomes your advantage, you know, the, mm. the challenge becomes your advantage. Mm. And, and the way, you know, I was able to articulate that is, well, number one, because of what Kate has, we, we absolutely know social distancing, right? Mm. That, you know, Kate can't be around certain people. We certainly know um, face masks. <laughs> we know that, that level of, you know, uncertainty and, you know, the way, you know, just framed it, you know, I, Kate knows what it's like. And then by virtue of being her mother, you know, we, we really get what that's like to every day, not quite understand or, or have that fear of what, what may be, yeah. and then find the courage to live within that and push past that and, mm -hmm. and productive. And that's why I say, you know, over many years, you know, we've really learned how you walk that line mm -hmm. and that fear's there. It's there. Mm. It's, it's a really serious illness. But how do you say, okay, and I respect that. And, and I'm, you know, humble to what that is and, and the force that it is. But how do we say, okay, but we're still going to move forward. And, you know, within that, you know, it forced me to reflect on, okay, within those environments, you know, when Kate is sick, what is that formula of things that I come back to to say, no, actually, you know, when the shutters come down, this is how I take care of myself. Mm. And, you know, really forced me to articulate a few principles that I have. And it also forced me to look in the mirror to think, hey, that's what I should be doing every day. Not just, <laughs> you know, that, that's the recipe for looking after myself and actually, you know, looking after other people. And the things, you know, I spoke about was this, you know, number one, this concept of just, just cutting each other some slack, right? You know, you're going through a pandemic, your daughter's in the hospital. Hey, I don't know how to break this to you. You're not at your best. Like everyone's not <laughs> pretending you are. I just, you know, let's, let's all accept that we're not. And so maybe let's just take a breath, right? You know, mm. before we respond to each other, maybe we just say, I accept that maybe you're not at your best right now. And mm. I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to allow you some space for that and some concession. And, you know, when I remember to do that, even on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm a, I'm a much better person, you know, for that. The other thing, making sure that I'm really mindful of the information and what I'm consuming on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, I really learned that when Kate was born and when she was diagnosed. Knowledge is power and I'm highly analytical. My natural tendency would be to consume everything I needed to know about it. And I knew really quickly that was not good. I actually mm. knew that what I need to understand is how I take care of her you know, hour by hour, but my God, do I need to stop getting onto Google and reading about this? <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's actually, that, that concept is, it helped, started to help me with COVID, I don't need the minute by minute updates, mm. you know, and then at different times when I know I'm under a significant amount of stress, I don't need to be watching the news every 30 seconds. You know, I just, that is not helpful and really being mindful, you know, in, in, in practicing that, then just being willing to know that if I don't take care of myself, if I'm not well, I can't be well for anyone else. And that yeah. applies at home. And that applies at work. And that's not being selfish, but mm. it's an absolute false economy to say, I don't have time for that. Or, or I'm not like, you know, really, really taking care of the basics is critically important. You made a decision to dedicate time to join the board of the Corporate Mental Health Alliance. Could you just explain to our listeners what that is and why you decided to invest your short time, your very limited time to play a role with that? Yeah, I feel privileged to even have the opportunity to be a part of uh, the Corporate Mental Health Alliance and to be a part of that board. 
the Corporate Mental Health Alliance started in the UK many years ago, and it was around, you know, really city-based organizations, you know, recognizing the impact of mental health and, and, and mental ill health on workers and coming together to say that this is an issue and we really want to be able to, you know, destigmatize this issue in the workplace and to create healthy workplaces. And about two plus years ago, you know, the alliance, you know, moving into Australia and it was seeing which organizations, right, would be a part of the alliance in Australia. I was really fortunate at the time that my equivalent in, in Deloitte in the UK, you know, was sitting on the board there and, and you know, she got in touch with me and said, this is something you want to be a part of. And, you know, she took me through it and I said, well, you can stop talking. Um, you don't need to, you know, to sell me on, on the need and the importance of the issue. You know, I'm 100% in and, you know, our, our CEO at the time, you know, and, you know, we took it to him around Deloitte, you know, being a founding member. And of course, you know, he was 100% supportive and then supportive of me being our board member. So it, you know, been an incredible learning opportunity and an incredible privilege to be a part, you know, of the Alliance. And, and really, you know, the Alliance is all about, you know, a set of organizations that have come together to say that, you know, this is one of the most important issues of our time mm. and that we can do a lot better. Mm. And really importantly, we can do a lot better if we come together. And so it is a business-led alliance, but it's expert-guided, right? So it's, you know, a set of CEOs, you know, in, in leaders of organizations, but guided by experts to help us really look at how we create mentally healthy workplaces. It's been a huge amount, you know, of learning and no one's sitting around that table saying, you know, they have all the answers. And the chair of the board is uh, Stephen Worrell from Microsoft, who's just done a phenomenal job, you know, with the rest of the board, but, you know, really driving that and bringing together a diverse set of organizations. And, you know, if you think of the, the power of that, you know, sitting around that table, you have leaders from organizations that compete intensely in the market every single day of the week, right? You've got Woolies and Coles, you've got Deloitte, KPMG, PwC, and you've got really intense competition sitting around that room. But when we're in that room, you know, it's everyone absolutely committed to seeing how we can do better within our own organizations, but then how we can pool our thinking and best practice, you know, expert guided to help every organization. I really love when I first heard about that. And the reason was, was that it was business leader led. And uh, some of, I think, the unfortunate legacy of mental health in the workplace is it's thought as being something separate, you know, something that we deal with separately. It's in a different area. But in my experience, and it's really one of the main reasons why we started this podcast, is that good leadership has both those things. It has, you know, the care and, and mental health and resilience of the team and also the performance. And as you've articulated very, very well, they just do go together. If, if your team's mood is not good, you're not going to get great results. You really aren't. So uh, I was really excited to see that development and, um, you know, fully support everything you and Steve and the rest of the team are doing. Yeah, it's it's been phenomenal. And, you know, if we needed to to understand, you know, the power of, of what what we're starting to do and what we're going to be able to do. You know, I had a moment last year, you know, when Melbourne was in lockdown and, and I think going into second lockdown that one of our board members one day just really put in an emergency meeting for that night for all the members to come together and to share 
How are we supporting our teams through that? You know, in a really challenging time, what are you doing? What can we learn from each other? And, you know, you're talking, you know, some really senior leaders, you know, and everyone was on that call and Mm -hmm. everyone was openly sharing what they were doing and what we could learn from each other with an absolute common goal. You really needed to feel the power you know, of those organizations coming together. And it was a really inspiring moment and right at the heart of exactly what we're trying to do together. And it was a real moment. What a great example of just pulling together because in the work I do around resilience, I did so many just for the Melbourne audiences and they just had unique challenges because of the length of time that they were in lockdown. When you think about yourself, what do you think your team members would consider your number one strength? You know, I'd say overall, you know, I have just an intense growth mindset that applies to, you know, being quite bold and being able to see opportunities. It also means, you know, I come back to, you know, to the examples in, you know, in my experience with Kate, it also means that there's almost no scenario where, you know, I can take challenge in bad news and immediately say, okay, well, here's the good thing. Or, okay, here's what we're going to do. Or, okay, here's how we're going to move forward. So the ability to take that, you know, and and be bold and create a vision, but then, you know, be able to bring people along on that and, you know, stay the course and have resilience. I think that's what they would say. I love the growth mindset concept by Carol Dweck. I think it is, Mm. and it's so relevant uh, in this workplace when things are so volatile and uncertain, they are changing every single day. When you took on the role, your new role, did you think, okay, I need to learn something else here. I need to grow another element of my leadership to take on this national role with all industries. Absolutely. And, you know, in general, as a person, but certainly as a consultant, we're always learning, Mm. right? You know, so you think, uh, you know, articulate growth mindset, you know, at the heart of that is, is always being willing to learn and challenge yourself, right? And, and I really strongly believe in that. In this role, I mean, like anyone, you, you bring in, you know, your experience and your signature strengths. I also knew, you know, you can call them blind spots or areas, you know, that I certainly need to be able to create the team around me as anyone would. But, you know, that's really my leadership style anyway, you know, in in leading through others. I have a really good sense of my strengths and a very good sense of my values. And that really helps me, you know, in designing teams around me. So I have just a phenomenal team and set of leaders, you know, that I'm working with day in and day out, you know, who I am heavily reliant on, right, for some of the the skills and experience, you know, that that I, you know, I haven't had at my core, you know, throughout my career. And then, of course, spending time, you know, with all our teams and other partners on take me through what you're doing and what excites you in your industry and in, you know, learning all the phenomenal things that we're doing Mm. and what's exciting other people and what they're passionate about and the opportunities they can see. I absolutely love that. And, you know, and and actually putting, you know, the challenge to everyone around challenge me (laughs) (laughs) and, and tell them, you know, what can we do better? And okay, that's what you want to do. How are we going to do it? And actually, how do we get out of your way? Uh, (laughs) It's a huge amount of, of learning, Graham. And, and, you know, I mean, that's one of the beautiful things of a new role, right? There's nothing Mm. more energizing, you know, it can be daunting too, but there's nothing more energizing and, you know, fantastic. There's so much to learn and understand and to work through. 
What do you think are the really critical ingredients of a really outstanding Deloitte team? Probably the same as, you know, ingredients of, of any other teams. And when I reflect on, you know, just the best teams that I've been a part of, that can be, you know, sporting teams that I was a part of, or, you know, just phenomenal teams I've been a part of at Deloitte, phenomenal teams I've been a part of with clients, you know, where it was us, them, other providers. What's the DNA of that? And, you know, a, a few things, you know, for me, you know, I, I think back to, you know, having having some form of, you know, united goal or, or mission, you know, in a sports team, hey, we knew what we were trying to do and what we were trying to win, you know, but understanding, you know, where we're going and what we're trying to achieve together. Everyone having a good sense and understanding of, of their role, you know, or their position. And then having an absolute understanding that whatever that position is, it's highly valuable, right? Mm-hmm. And and regardless of, you know, I, I played on an incredibly high-performing uh, soccer team all through high school. And I always say, you know, in my entire career, I've scored maybe five goals in my whole life. You know, my name was never in lights. You know, I was a defender, but uh, I, I knew my value, right? We all had a part to play. You know, it was my job to get that ball. It was not my job. You know, I, did, I didn't, you know, I, I love the people who were scoring, but you've got to know your position and we've all got to understand the value of every single person's position and contribution within that. You know, I believe really strongly in, you know, accountability in being clear on what we're each, you know, achieving together and individually and being accountable for that, you know, working really hard and showing up to the problem and having each other's back, you know, and through that, you know, creating an environment of real psychological safety and trust within that. And, you know, that's easier said than done, you know, as you know, but, you know, really creating, you know, an environment where we say we have each other's back, we're united, we care for each other, we trust each other. Therefore, we know that we have to challenge each other. We're never going to get better if we don't. And being able to say what needs to be said. And, and you know what, when, when we don't get it right, then just saying sorry and moving on, right? I mean, you know, when I, when I brought my new leadership team together, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time just, you know, on the behaviors and what we expect and, and actually putting forward the, I want you to say it. And guess what? If you get it wrong, like mm-hmm. that's fine. Not like, wrong. Mm-hmm. You get it wrong. You apologize. We move on, but mm-hmm. I, I can't have you sitting there afraid to say something. It's just, it's not going to serve us in any way, shape or form. For me, those things are incredibly important in making sure we have the right set of skills and thinking and a really diverse, different styles. So I know we're going to get all different types of perspectives and challenge. And, you know, I love those environments. That's the best type of team. In my uh, presentations and workshops, I often ask people to reflect on a really fantastic, great team they've been part of. What was it that made it unique? And the thing that really happens is that they say all the things you've just said, you know, we have a common vision, we have each other's back, we have complementary strengths, we enjoy ourselves. That's a, you know, that's a really big one as well. And then the fundamental thing, what made me so passionate about this, you know, whole care movement is, you know, did you care for each other? And always it's a, you know, just a really resounding yes. And that's why I think that the, you know, the care and the trust respect is the basic ingredient that really leads to outstanding performance. I agree with you. You know, when I think of the best teams I've been a part of, you know, there's there's one element that I didn't mention. When I reflect on them, you know, it's always that we had some form of crisis or it was hard or we struggled to form or we went through something that that meant that when we got to the end, we valued it even more. I love the concept of care. And I think a lot of the times we only think of care as being nice. 
and doing soft things. You know, I, I think of care in a way much more dynamic than that. You know, for me, trust comes from, I know that you're going to support me and be kind, but I also know, you know, if you care enough and you care enough about me, you're going to challenge me, right? You're going to have the tough conversation with me. For people that I've looked up to and leaders I've had, you know, you're actually going to give me the feedback that I need. And actually just being nice sometimes has no care in it at all. That is such a great point. It really is. You know, the care doesn't mean being soft. And in fact, I think that the most caring thing is to help people to be independent and successful and to be able to navigate their own future. 100%. You know, I made the comment before, you know, I have felt and I continue to feel it to like really well cared for. Mm -hmm. I'd also say that I'm someone who receives and I think maybe Maybe I appear open to it or I appear robust enough. I get really, I get the challenging feedback. Mm. I have a set of people who will tell me, you know, what I need to hear and how I need to be better. And, you know, and they challenge me in that way. And Mm. sometimes for me, like that's really at the essence of that. If you didn't care, you wouldn't do that for Mm. me. You know, and that creates such an environment of trust and, with teams that I have and people that I work with. And I actually think about it kind of the same, you know, with, with my kids, right? You know, if we start with this basis that I want you to do and be and achieve all your dreams, I want you to be phenomenal and exceptional, whatever that means for you, you know, a team member of mine, you know, one of my children, and you know, and I'll push you, I'll challenge you, I'll support you, you know, I'll help you see things maybe you, you know, you you can't quite see, Mm. and I'll help you set the goals, and I'm going to cheer you on. Mm. But I also want you to know that the foundation of that is whether you do any of that, just who you are, who you show up as every day, I absolutely value you and I respect you already. Mm. (laughs) So that environment of absolute trust, you've got that regardless. Now let's go and try and do awesome things. But I've completely, I've completely got your back. Yeah. What a great point. What a great point. I can't believe how time has gone so quickly. I've just got a, a couple more questions. Knowing what you know now, experiencing the full dynamics of all the elements of your life, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self if you had the chance to speak to you back then? At 20, you know, I was still in university studying. I had just come back from a semester in Africa doing development work. You know, I was having a ton of fun. I was passionate. You know, I sometimes like to flip that question and think, you know, rather than what would I tell that person? What if I was 20-year-old me and I and I looked forward right now and I saw me right now? What would 20-year-old me think? I would think that the, me at 20 would look at me now. And number one, I hope that that 20-year-old would be proud. You know, she'd be surprised that I'm blonde. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> natural redhead, but you know, we're just getting, whoa, like that's the job you're doing. Oh, you're married. Um, I mean, actually, you've been married a long time. You know, but I would think that, that that 20-year-old might actually, you know, question whether I had to change to grow into this, you know, Mm -hmm. did I have to give up my values? Did my passion fall away? You know, was I challenged or, you know, were my values threatened along the way? And when I, when I think of it and reflect of it that way, my advice to that 20 year old is just to say, you already work really hard. You've got that. I just want you to know you're actually not going to have to change who you are in order to do all of that. And there are going to be times where you think you do. And I just want you to know, 
you're already enough, you will be that same person just grown up and different and better and capacity will have grown, but your values won't have changed at all. So just go. (laughs) (laughs) Ellen, you really, really champion this uh, leader that pursues both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. And I hope there's lots of women and, and also men that really see how your growth mindset and your commitment to great teamwork produces great results. It's been a pleasure having you on here. Ellen, thanks for being part of the Caring CEO podcast. Thank you so much, Graham. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you've learned something new and heard some practical tips you can try with your team. If you enjoyed this interview today, please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate us, it helps other people to find us. We also welcome any comments. If you're interested in seeing details about our scalable WeCare mental health training programs, please visit us at factorc.com.au. Our goal for these programs is to make them accessible, practical, and ongoing. If you've been impressed by a CEO that you would like us to interview, please email details to support at factorc.com.au. Please subscribe by clicking the button below. We really would love to have you as part of the care movement. Thanks for joining us.